Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, the show on Racing UK, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. It gives me enormous pleasure to welcome to the studio a man who has dominated French jump racing for the last two decades. He's been champion trainer no fewer than 14 times. In one season, he had 268 French jumping winners. He has the record equaling six victories in the Grand Steep de Paris, and he wants a seventh. He also is the man who has sold and exported great stars of the sport, from Azertiop through Masterminded, through Long Run to Votor, and yesterday's heroine, Lorena. He is a man who is a game changer, and he is in the Luck on Sunday studio. Good morning, and a happy morning. new year to Guillaume Macaire. Great to see you. Many thanks. Please. You've been an extremely successful businessman, as well as an extremely successful trainer, mainly through selling horses to, to Britain and Ireland. Could you believe how happy British and Irish owners were to come to you and spend what, at the time, we believed to be unbelievable amounts of money on jump horses? Well, it's, uh, at the beginning of the story, it was uh, Martin Pipe with uh, David Johnson. Mm -hmm. He was the, the, my first client, and, it was, and I remember Martin Pipe came to, to, to La Palmyra at, 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 at our base uh, by plane and, um, to, to visit horses and to decide, I buy this one, I buy this one. Uh, and, uh, and after that, before to come back in the plane, he, he asked me to stop in the bakery to buy uh, 20 baguettes, French baguettes, <laughs> to go back in England with. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how fresh the baguettes were by the time they got back to Somerset, but I, it's a good story. Uh, and then, of course, you started selling horses like Azertiop, Masterminded. Uh, Paul Nichols really took those to a, to a new level. And I guess that opened up a whole load more owners for you. Well, because, you know, I, I was in Nazareth Europe in some horses. I have partners, the breeder of the horse, and we were starting our activity. It was important to have a, a concrete, solid, ba solid base. Here's Nazareth Europe. Right. A very nice horse. And uh, it was a good opportunity, and I have established my contact uh, like that. And uh, it was necessary, even if it was a less for me, because this horse had probably a very nice future in France as well. Mm. But it was the moment to do something, to, to, be, to be able to work, to, to work uh, with, um, uh, with serenity. Mm. Because when you have money behind you, you don't do errors. When you are in rush, you do a lot of errors, mm. a lot of errors. And, and when you have plenty of time ahead, horses, with horses, the, the, the pressure and the rush is a very, very 
bad uh, thing, very, very bad thing. So that financial security enabled you to just take things at the pace that yes. you wanted to it, take it things at. And did it make you a better trainer as well? I don't know. So that's the, the story we'll judge. Uh, the, the, the story will judge. But uh, I have tried always to adapt the system with uh, new methods, with new uh, discovery, also buying horses in, in different countries when it was too difficult in France, like in Germany, like in Poland, and uh, trying to discover something new. Because when you are just two people to try to pass in a door, it's easy. When you, 25 people, it's blocked. Mm. And, and, but that's the fashion. To establish new, when I was the first to buy um, Sholokov's crop, but there was a reason, and I was alone to buy Cholokop in, in, in Beberg in Germany. Why? Because Sholok, I was not impressed by Sholokov by, uh, like that. It's because Sholokov was a very, very strong horse at the age of two, at the age of three. He was a horse able to be, I think he was uh, second or third in the Eclipse Stakes at Sundown. Sundown is a very testing track. And one week later, he was second in the Irish Derby, doing, doing the doing the pacemaker for other O'Brien horses. Mm. And with just, with just one week in so tough races... So you thought he was, he and, was hard and, enough? And, uh, yes, necessary for jumping. Mm-hmm. And second thing, the father was, was, was without problem in terms of ability, but the dam called La Meilleure was by a horse called um, uh, uh, Strong Gale. Mm-hmm. And Strong Gale was... A leading sire over the jumps about 40, 40 years ago. Yeah, about 30 years, years ago. ago, yeah. But I was probably alone to remember that, mm. especially in Germany. And I had no uh, English Brewster agent because the damn line was, was empty in terms of, uh, of uh, jump preference. And I bought for Hand of Peanuts, uh, Grad 1 winners, and very good horses, also sold in England, doing, doing Grad 1 winners later. But because it's if you go where everybody goes, you are there is too much people and the price are because if you are three people to bet on the same horse, the price will do that. If you are alone, you collect the horse for uh, under peanuts. It, it amazes me that people will come to you and spend. I, it's very rarely disclosed exactly how much they spend, but they'll maybe spend two, three, four. Maybe even five hundred thousand euros yes, on but, a jump horse. It's, in, but, it's yes, insane. but sometimes it's very good bargain because uh, uh, I remember. Uh, pr- take, I take an example. Well, it's maybe the best one, but for long run, when we have so, we was together, Benoit Gabriel and me on this horse. Long run, this is long run. We have this. Uh, uh, Robert Wollekon was really impressed by the horse, and in the in the in the market there was the special uh, thing. I, I kept the horse for three and four in France when he had a, a nice program. The horse won all races, and he has collected more than uh, 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 70,000 uh, euros. Mm-hmm. Plus the Gold Cup, plus etc. And, and the horse was very cheap in, in reality. In relative you know? terms, because of what Yes, he, yes, a question of relativity. Which, which do you, did you believe at the time when you sold the horse, did you believe was the best horse you'd sold? Longrun? You believed he was the oh, best yes. horse you it sold? was outstanding. Better horse. than Votor, better than Masterminded, better than a Different style of horse, but he was, as a, as a four, he was really outstanding in the field. He was, where Benoit Gaber has refused a lot of offers, many, many big offers, when he was with his mother. Really? Uh, right, right. But he was outstanding horse. Outstanding horse. And at the beginning, it was a, bit, a little bit the problem because he was too strong. 
with the time he, he was more settled, more relaxed on using his energy more uh, always in, in fifth gear, not in, in third gear, you know. Uh, at the beginning, it was a little bit too much on the bridle. It was probably, I have worked a lot on that to have a horse relaxed and settled enough. But it, it was really outstanding horse. But all these horses, we are uh, doing outstanding careers in, in your country, was anywhere at the beginning horses with a lot of uh, presence and, you know, not like the others. When walkers, good movers, horses with a, a quality of, a, of coach, you know, some details, but it's, it's, that's the reason why there was a lot of people to try to buy them, because it was really attractive. So long run for you, the best you've sold. Ah, anyway, that's the... You know, it's difficult to compare a two-miler on a three-miler. It's difficult to compare a hurdler on a chaser. It's difficult to... It's difficult. But it, it was, for me, one of the most impressive horses I used to train. Now, many trainers are essentially married to their job. They, they do nothing else but, but train racehorses. But you seem to have a, a much richer variety of interests than most. You, you've written two books... Mm-hmm. Two novels. Well, but, uh, in, in the racing world, anyway. But still novels. They're mm-hmm. not just, uh, yesterday I trained well, another well, three well, ways. Well, novel, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How on earth do you find the time to, to do yeah. that? <laughs> when I go holidays in next week, I live in the Indian Ocean for a couple of weeks. To, but it's a therapy. At first, it's a therapy for my mind to forget a little bit of the thing. I don't take my, my phone. And uh, they have orders at the yard to to find the solutions themselves, except if there is really a, a big deal a going down. Yeah, mm. except a disaster. But uh, we have. Uh, I live just for two weeks. It's not. Uh, it's, uh, they have a, we have and a bit you, of time. And you write. I write. I paint. And and is your is you I read is your painting inspired by those early days? in Compiègne and seeing those beautiful well, he, picturesque scenes? Uh, of course, because a, a canvas must be a sort of a, uh, some, something out of the time, mm. you know. And uh, the interesting thing with, with painting is, uh, for me, is I am alone in front of the canvas. If I do a horse, it's myself. When you train horses, it's a bit more difficult because you have a lot of people Morning riders, uh, jockeys, a uh, lot of people in the system. Can you don't do exactly as you want or as you like? Sometimes I try, but it's very difficult. It's why to be always in touch with uh, uh, with with everybody mm. is very important to have exactly what I want. Because in my opinion, the plus is detail, and a detail, a detail, a detail, a detail. You know, that's because you add the details, you can do the difference. Except with, without, with good horses, because good horses are rubbing human errors themselves because they are very good. But bad horses are sliding in red. <laughs> and you have to, no escape. <laughs> it's why you must be very, very attentive. I consider on about 100% horses, there is 5, 5% the cream, the top, the cream of the cream, 15% of very good horses. 30% of pure shit, and, and, and the, the, the soldiers, the rest, the rest of the troop are the soldiers. But between these soldiers, you can have uh, some soldiers able to, 
to gain their uh, their uh, their officer uh, galon, I don't know, mm. the stripes. Yep, yep, yep. Their officer stripes, uh, because you work attentively. You, tr I try always to to grow up the quality of the horse. I don't yeah. try to to rub the the bad things, because I try to develop his quality. And by relative two balls, balls of of uh, of wrong things, but balls of good things, because I develop. I develop, I develop this, the quality, the basic quality of the horse. Yeah. By relativity, the second ball is disappear. Well, not totally, but if I try to improve, to, to rub totally the, the, the wrong things of the horse, I will not develop the quality. It's like a kid, if he's very talented for something, the, for music, for if he hates mathematics, he will it will always very bad because he ate it. So you're trying to just develop what Absolutely. the talent. Where, identify right. the talent and work on that talent the horse, rather than the or, the trying horse correct is a, the bad stuff. Yes, the horse is a, is a front runner. Okay, he, he, he's dominating the others. Some horses are followers. Everybody has to use his, what he like. But in the morning, I put them in all situations to be able to manage in case. Mm. Even followers are going in front sometimes to lead for the others because they they have to learn everything, yeah. like the kids at the school. If they don't like mathematics, they learn mathematics and could be useful later, even if it's not really their sport. Now, I'd like to say that you've come here to England today, especially to see me and to be on this programme. But, you. of course, the, tr the truth of it is you're here to go to Plumpton this afternoon to run a horse called mm. Master Dino mm. against a very good horse of Gary Moore's called Nocnanus, against a very good horse trained in Ireland called Glen Lowe of Gordon Elliott's. Um, why are you bringing him to Plumpton, and how good is he? Uh, to Plumpton, because it was, in terms of races, the only races with the corresponding distance, in my opinion, for him. Mm -hmm. Because he is novice for just a couple of, uh, a couple of months. In France, I have plenty of time to, to go back for the French programme. This season in France was probably a little bit difficult for him, uh, because he, he has to fight against old horses, tough and experienced. In the, big, in the biggest races, in the grade one for uh, all the horses, while in the two uh, previous season he was only with the same generation, juveniles and four-year-olds. Mm -hmm. The level of competition is not exactly the same. But this horse is novice because he won first time out uh, very nicely at Utah over the chase. So now he's, I'm sure of his ability for the, for the chase. We, that's the moment to try something. And because I had a horse last year called Terrefort. Yes. Uh, for me, there is a lot a world between the two horses because I used to train therefore. Mm. And, uh, but however, uh, uh, Simon Munir was very happy with him in, in England. And I, I said, why not to try to do the same thing? Because if therefore is able to do that, Master Minded is able to do as well. So you're going to go to this race at Plumpton today, then to the Silly Isles Novices Chase Absolutely. at Sandown, and, Cheltenham and then Cheltenham. Mm. So that's the logical way. If you were to train a winner at the Cheltenham Festival, and you have come that close with Jeu de Cochet in the Sun Alliance Chase a few years ago, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. he was given rather a lot to do, um, how big a deal would that be for you, given all you've achieved in your career? Well, it's because, you know, to win, uh, Cheltenham is the Olympic Games of, uh, of uh, jump racing. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti et Cruel Dubai. Let's talk about a Frenchman who won at Sandown Park yesterday, Elixir du Nuts, who's completing a hat-trick for Colin Tizard in the colours of Terry Warner, a horse bought by... Oh, 
Claude Charlet later this parish, and this is Elixir du Nuts winning the, the Tolworth. Um, ben, it was a tough performance. Was it a top-class one? Um, I think he's proving himself an ex- a very, very nice novice. Um, <clears throat> they all, you know, Grand Sancy finished up close, and sometimes with these races, if, if you've got an absolutely outstanding horse, they, they sort of finish 10 clear. Um, but it proved a very good form line last season. I don't think these horses are, are below par at all. I think they're probably three very nice horses. Obviously, Rath Hill might have just found it all a bit too much. I don't know. Um, but I, th- I think he's proving himself time and time again. And, and those horses, especially when they've got form around Cheltenham, are horses that you probably have on your side than, than, than not with you coming towards the festival. And you've been in this dilemma a, a few times about which way you go at the Cheltenham Festival. Do you go up in distance? Do you stay at the same distance? If he was yours, what would you be inclined to do? Um, Colin says, stay at two miles. Why would you go up? He's got plenty of speed. His jumping is his biggest asset. Um, he's a very straightforward-looking horse. He travels. I think he was quite quirky in his early days. Um, I think Philip Hobbs had him um, when he was really quirky and he was much younger. And um, I think he's always had an enormous talent. It's just been harnessing it. And he now looks a very simple, straightforward horse. So that that in itself is very good. Uh, and at the festival especially, the thing I've learned in my short-time training is the fact that if you've got a horse that stays two miles very well, that's more like a horse that's going to win a Supreme than, than, a, than a speedy bridle horse. Yeah. Um, if you look back to days of Alpharoff, and, and I know Altior won it, but we're all saying he could quite probably easily mm. win over three miles as well. They, they have to stay very well, and um, he looks to me an outright galloper, jumps very well, and that's, I think, the main part of a Supreme horse is the fact you can't make a mistake at any moment because you make a mistake too, you're out of the race. And he, he's looked nothing but absolutely immaculate with his jumping. Yeah, he was superb yesterday <coughs> in the jumping department. And Colin Tizard, after the race, suggested that that's the route they would go down to the Supreme Novices Hurdle. Colin's son and assistant Joe, who was at Wincanton supervising winners there, uh, joins us on the line now. Joe, uh, good morning. Morning, Nick. Good day all round, really. I know there was one blip at Wincanton, but winner there with Molyneux, winner at Sandown in the Grade 1, old theatre guide covering himself in glory as well. Um, good day all round for Team Tizard. Yeah, nice day. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good good start to the new year, to be honest. They've been, um, they've been in good form. And, um, yeah, no, another cracking day yesterday. Do you have anything to add to what's already been said about Elixir Do Nuts? Is, is there anything that you saw that we didn't or any observations you made that your dad didn't? Um, not particularly. I did, well, I did um, when I watched the first race at Sandown. I was a little bit nervous. I thought, well, they, whether the ground might just go against him a little bit. You know, he's um, he'd sort of bounced off a bit of better ground at Cheltenham, and I was just worried that after being covered, it looked like quite hard work. But um, you know, I love what I saw. I thought he could have quite easily been swallowed up after two out, but he's um, he's very tough, and he doesn't want to get headed, which is um, a good attribute. And he's obviously thrived on his racing, but your your father was saying yesterday now he needs to have the pause that refreshes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> we 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 have mentioned the um, the Betfair at Newbury in, in sort of the back of our minds, but I think he's 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 been and had his had his four runs. He needs to he needs to be freshened up, and then he can um, he can have a go at both back in the spring. <clears throat> Is he a fast horse at home or not? Uh, he's not slow. He's got he's got a good good cruising speed, but he wouldn't be he wouldn't be the fastest, you know. Um, 
like you guys were just saying, these top two milers, they have to stay as well. And, um, and But he's got that beautiful cruising speed and he gains a length at every jump. And um, and I'm sure in time he'll, he'll, he'll be able to get further as well. And that's exactly what Guillaume McCare was talking about. I don't know if you were listening to him. He was saying that it's not about having superior pace necessarily. It's about being able to save a length or half a length every obstacle and by the time you get to the end of the race you're ten lengths to the good of some of your rivals uh, you you had a, a good spell over Christmas and the, and the New Year as well second and third in the King George winner of the Welsh National and uh, perhaps a, another star on the horizon in, in Lost in Translation who beat Deffy Desoy in that dip and novices chase at, uh, at Cheltenham y- your father said after the race this could be our next big one is, is that the way you're thinking about Lost in Translation that he's the next one off the now production line from from your yard, Cucard, Thistlecrack, uh, Native River, etc., etc. Yeah, well, he, well we, Dad loves a horse, you know. He ticks all all of our boxes, and he's a big, old-fashioned type of horse. But he um he he's improving all the time, you know. It's, what, what I loved about him at Cheltenham is he'd learned from the mistake he made at Newbury um, when he was just got racing and had a grab at one at the second half at Cheltenham. And he quite he could have quite easily done it again, but he didn't. You know, he went in and shortened and popped. I know he lost a couple of lengths, but um, but he'd learned his lesson from Newbury, so he's he's certainly improving. Um, and and I think he's a horse that'll improve again through time. You know, he's just he's a big framed horse, a big gallop and stride, and and he'll step up and trip next season. I'm sure. Not not this year. We've um, we Robbie's Robbie's adamant that two and a half sort of trip from this year. And, it is, um, it, and he'll step up next year. Will Will he run between now and, and the JLT at Cheltenham? Well, it's um, that's a possibility. You know, he might get on on Tuesday um, for Leopardstown, but. But because because well, the owners are over there, but uh, you know, dad's dad's not keen on going over there on possibly heavy ground and, and using his run up. Or oh, there's the silly hours at Sandown. Um, you know, he's, he he hasn't got to, but but it, but also he's a novice, another another round of experience wouldn't necessarily hurt. And we've we've got ten or just under ten weeks to get there, so there is plenty of time. So if he does have a run, it'll either be at the Dublin Racing Festival where he would reoppose La Bagoua, or it would be in the silly hours where he might take on Master Dino. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what Master Dino um, does today. But um, but he's he's in that bracket. You know, there's um, there's no point there's no point taking him for a, li- a little school run. He won't learn anything there. So he can, if we if we decide to run, we'll we'll go for a big one. And all well with the big boys, Thistle Crack and, and Native River, an elegant escape, yeah, they, I should add. Yeah, well, they, they, all three of them have, have come out of their races really well. Um, Thistle Crack will go straight to the Gold Cup. Um, you know, he deserves to to get there. He hasn't got there yet, so. Um, so he's come out of the race really well, but we won't have a run in between. He'll go straight there. Uh, Native River, uh, we haven't definitely decided, but quite possibly he'll, he'll turn up in the Denman and then and then the Gold Cup. And um, well, Elegant Escape, he'll he'll get an entry on Tuesday for the Gold Cup as well. Um, he'll also have a national entry, and, um, and we'll sort of plot our way with him. Uh, are we likely to see him between now and and then, or or are you giving him a bit uh, of a break? Well, it's difficult to know know what to do with him. You know. Where, He's one five nine now. He needs to find a bit more for a Gold Cup. But if if we're going to have a strong sort of spring campaign and, and aim at the festivals, it, it doesn't do them any harm. He's running a in a Labrooks and a, and a Welsh National and Sandown before that. It won't do him any harm to just freshen up for a month. We've done all the flu jabs over the new year. And, um, you know, January's quite a quiet month, and then then you you concentrate on the on the second half of the season. So it wouldn't hurt them to be to be freshened up to be able to go Cheltenham entry. And, and just a word on old theatre guide. Who I know your dad fancied a little bit yesterday, and he he didn't let him down. 
No, well, he's uh, lovely for June Bishop as well. And, um, you know, he's, he's been a real good stalwart. He's been placing a couple of Hennessy's as they were, and he, he's won his races. And, and yesterday he ran a, ran a lovely race again. Um, he's been a, been a big asset in our yard, and my sister Kim rides him every day of the week. And um, I just love him for him to go and... Go and finish second in a, in a in a good race again and 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 win a nice a nice part. Joe, thanks ever so much. We will uh, speak to you very soon. Cheers, Nick. Thanks that, a lot. Joe Tizard, what an enviable clutch of staying chasers those are. I mean, I, I kept having to remember more of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's Colin's birthday tomorrow. He's got a a really uh, a, a, the. I think there was a point, um, particularly a year or so ago, or. or I wondered whether the, the 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 stars that the stable had when uh, Thistlecrack, for example, with the injury, I, I wondered whether the horses would would keep uh, coming through, and, and they really are, aren't they? I mean, uh, Warren Greatrex wouldn't have minded watching Lost in tra- Translation either, with La Bagoire having beaten that horse previously. And the great thing about them, Ben, is they run their horses. And I mean, they don't overrace them, but they run them with a with a sort of frequency that's just that little bit greater than than some others. Yeah, they do. Um, I think they see their horses as they want to have fun with them. They want to give the owners the joy that they can bring, and and almost with an attitude of, well, we've got them in good form. Let's let, let's let's keep running them rather than save, save, save. But it was quite interesting there. There were just two or three mentions of we'll probably wait for Cheltenham, we'll probably wait for Cheltenham, which is maybe a little bit more. Um, Circumspect, so, yeah. They mm. m- might not be running the, the big ones just quite as much because they're, you know, as Joe said, Thistlecrack hasn't actually got to a gold yeah. cup before, and I'm I'm sure they want to see him have his chance there. So, you know, we all as trainers have to adapt the way we run our horses to to the horse. Mm. You know, I was, I've got a lovely novice in Bright Forecast um, that I had entered in the Tolworth, and it was only nine days after he won at Leicester and I was late starting with him this season and I just thought to myself, do you know what, it's just a step too far just just at this moment in time but you know, we'll be looking for something in maybe three weeks um, to see if he can chuck his name in the hat for a decent race come the spring and we, we have to make these decisions and sometimes we make them correctly and sometimes incorrectly but you know, they are horses, they're not machines and every horse is different. One decision that Willie Mullins and Ruby Walsh had to make, or Willie Mullins had to make, was where he would debut Lorena, if anywhere, and they found a match at Sandown yesterday. It was unfortunate for the uh, race-going public and those watching on television that this was reduced to a match, but it was a a match that garnered an unbelievable amount of attention, Dave, and has has, has been a significant talking point. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, Four horses were declared for this race initially, and, and two came out. I mean... In one sense, it's like watching paint dry, isn't it? Watching a horse saunter 48 lengths clear of her sole rival. But I suppose anyone who came to Sandown yesterday would at least go home thinking, well, maybe we've seen the champion hurdle winner there. Mm. Um, afterwards, we were wondering which firms, <laughs> betting firms, would would uh, use this as an excuse to cut Lorena. And... Poor old Brett Williams. I feel desperately sorry for him because he came on Racing UK at the beginning of the day from, from Unibet and he, he said, I don't think we'll, we'll clip her even if she wins by a long way. And, of course, a lot of the firms were going unchanged, unchanged, unchanged. And poor Brett had to sheepishly sidle up to me and go, 7-2 to two from 4-1. to one. And I felt really sorry for him because he'd rung the trade and said, surely we're not going to shorten it. And they went, yep, yep, we're shortening from 7-2. to two. In, in fairness, 
they weren't the only ones. No. Hills did. Oh, I'm Bet not having a go. I'm not having a go. But, but th there, is one, there is one new thing that emerged yesterday, and that is that in, uh, after the race, Willie Mullins said that of the, the three champion hurdle horses, Mellon and yeah. Charger, that he, he assumed that Ruby Walsh would ride Lorena. Now, post-race, Ruby said to you, well, never pay too much attention to but what Willie says after the race. He didn't exactly disabuse me no, of the exactly. notion. No, exactly. And, you know, we're not... For, for years and years, when the stable jockey has the choice of two horses in a big race, when they say, I'm going to ride Betty's boy, routinely, mm. Betty's boy is shortened in the betting. So you actually have no problem with them cutting? Uh, I do with the performance, but not with the news. Mm. That's just what happens. I mean, you know, Ru Ruby Walsh, both the fact that he he thinks that she's the best of the three, and Mellon has been beaten, what, a neck or a head in the previous running the champion hurdle? By the current odds on favour. Exactly. And secondly, the fact that Ruby Walsh is one of the leading practitioners of his art, so to have him aboard Lorena would also be a plus. Who is your idea of a champion hurdle winner at this stage, Ben? Well, funny enough, Dave and I were discussing outside. I mean, Bouvedere, I know he got beat the other day. Um, but, you know, he he's still the champion hurdler, um, current champion, and in, he's still going to be a very hard nut to crack on the day. But it's not a foregone conclusion, I don't think, and it's quite interesting to see a couple of nice mares mm. getting their allowance, basically following up in the market with Lorena and obviously Verdana Blue that managed to get just in, just ahead of him in the Christmas hurdle. Possibly Apple's Jade as well, if Poss they go that way. Exactly, but you never know where, where they're going to go with her. But, you know, these mares, if they are very good, that's why it always comes back to, if you have a good mare, she's their gold dust, because you still you always get this £7, pounds mm. and Le Bagoire's benefiting from it right at this moment in time. And it's great to see some mares properly at the top of the game because we haven't had maybe apart from Apples Jade and uh, a few others um, maybe we haven't had the strength and depth that we've got now of, of top class mares really knocking on the door in the top class races. We talk about the stars of the future what about the stars <coughs> of yesteryear bouncing back well the veterans chase at Sandown yesterday was an opportunity for Hublon de Zobo to do just that what an honour roll this horse has he ran in <coughs> Tony Grease Gold Cup he gave many clouds six pounds when he was running up to him in the Hennessy he is a horse who had won nine races going into this. He'd run in just about every big one, including Grand Nationals, off a mark of 135. He sauntered home eventually, but poor old Biowise last year's winner, he did not deserve the ignominy of what befell him at the last fence. No, he didn't, and thank goodness he walked away from it because it's a really nasty-looking fall, this. I was watching this next to Steve Jones, Templegate oh. of the Sun, oh. who had tipped the winner, and, of course, I was roaring Biowise home... Uh, to catch his selection, but uh, that was a really nasty fall. But like you say, what a horse this has been, and what form his trainer is in, Venetia Williams. She is absolutely flying. Ninth winner in the last fortnight, or tenth winner in the last fortnight, because she followed up with Calypto straight away at Wincanton, and clipping it over 30%. Now, she, she is a trainer who habitually, Ben, has gone through sort of these incredible purple patches you know, in winning streaks, but um, the horses are in, in terrific, Nick. Yeah, they are, and... I mean, Venetia's always been an absolute mastermind at placing horses, and especially in some of her handicaps and, and watching them run up sort of a chain of wins. But, I mean, they are in brilliant form. And just to see a horse like Ublon de Zobo there winning again yesterday, because he was, 
he was such a fantastic horse for them, and he's taken them mm. some brilliant places right from as a juvenile. You know, we <clears throat> we forget that he was in. I think he ran in the Triumph. Yeah. Um, for them, and um, you know he's still there as an eleven-year-old winning handicap chases and, and veterans chases, and he was in the wilderness for so long because he was a really good horse, but just short of absolute top class. So he wasn't quite competing at the top in the mm. Gold Cup, but yet he was so high in the handicap that Nationals and, and Hennessy's were always going to be hard for him and things like that, but he always wore his heart on his sleeve and to see the enthusiasm that horse still had for racing. I mean, he turned in to come to the second last year. I mean, if a, if a six-year-old had done it, you'd have been impressed. Um, and it, desperately sorry for Bywise because he, he again is another complete form of consistency in the fact that he always comes with a late charge, even when he was younger. Mm. That was his, that was his sort of signature. And he jumped beautifully. Oh, that, and I don't think you very rarely see Bywise make a mistake. And they often say that when, when a really good jumper makes a mistake, it, it's a proper mistake because they just get it all wrong. And and I'm just pleased to see him up because he's a fabulous, fabulous old time, and I'm sure he'll be back next year. Let's hope so. Uh, as far as Venetia's concerned, Dave, again, I'd say she's going through this excellent run of form. There are some trainers who consistently achieve, even if they go through lean patches, who consistently keep on coming back and achieving, even if they haven't quite got, quite got, the raw materials and um, investment in their stable, perhaps, as, as some of the very top ones. Yeah, I guess that's the key to a very good trainer, isn't it? Is the, the, the ability to... To, to keep replenishing with with good horses. I, I'm sorry, we, we were talking about the Tizards a moment, mm. and I, I was uh, with the loss of Anne and Alan Potts. They, they've had to do that because mm. suddenly the investment that was there isn't there anymore. But Venetia keeps doing that. I mean, um, Aso at Cheltenham on New Year's Day was a a, a, a real triumph for the yard. A horse who had had a, a checkered season or so. And uh, to win that big pot, also for Charlie Deutsch, which is a, a really good human interest story. Mm. He's come roaring back. The stable is, is roaring at the moment with a, a strike rate of 30% in the last fortnight. Venetia's on the line now. Good morning, Venetia. Good morning, Nick. Um, lovely. You sound in great spirits. I'm not, I'm not surprised. Things are going fantastically well. How's, the, how's Hoobie this morning? Uh, he, he's a little bit stiff, as I think all horses are entitled to be coming out of the, the old boys' race. But, um, no, he's, he's in great form, actually. Um, after a few strides, he's trotted up Sanders Bell. You enjoyed that, didn't you, yesterday? <laughs> It'd be mental not to have. It would have done. It's, it's a big labour of love to get these horses, as you said, sort of mentally applied again to the point where they're willing to take hold of the bridle and run hard through a race like that. Um, how long had it been in the planning? Well, with all these horses, um, three-mile chases of that age, you know, ev everybody is going to have their eye on this big race. Um, uh, he ran in it last year, and obviously it was going to be a highlight of him this year. But, you know, he, he, he's run twice in, in the last month since. Um, but each time one could see that, you know, there was still more to come, you know, so uh, we're delighted to, to take him there again. And I, I mentioned that the yard is in, in tremendous form. You're going at, at 30% the last couple of weeks. I think 10 winners in the, in the last four nights as well. I mean, obvious question, is there any reason for it specifically, do you think? Or is it just that you've got good health in the yard at the moment? Tradition, I'd like to say, by, <laughs> by batting that question away. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say. I mean, but, you know, we, we, don't, we don't run the horses in the summer. And certainly this, mm. this autumn um, was, was ever so dry. And, and the summer sort of dragged on practically through until the beginning of December. So, you know, we didn't run terribly much early on. And admittedly, you know, they weren't hitting the notes um, in the same way as they are now. 
Um, but it's it's hard to tell. I, I don't know, but um, it's often the same. Just saw a nice shot there of Jerry, and you mentioned him yesterday in, in our interview because he, he rides a Hublon des Ebo every morning. That's right, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. He, he's, he's effectively travelling head lad, but um, you know, he's here and, and rides out you know, when he's not in his lorry. So a, a, a big day for the team, and you were on the score sheet with, with Calypto at, at Wing Canton as well. It, how do you think his sort of second career, if you like, where, where do you think his kind of re- the ceiling of his renaissance might be? Um, talking about Calypso, um, well, he, he's, he's not really run bad races. Um, he had a, a wind operation a couple of years ago, um, which was, it was not one of those speculative wind operations. It was absolutely 100% necessary. He had a tie back. He had a partially paralyzed larynx. So um, that obviously made, it made a big difference. But as I say, that was a while ago. Um, but I think, you know, um, he ran a good race um, uh, in Mr. Brooks's colours um, uh, to, to be placed in the Grand Annual, um, you know, and uh, he's continued in, in good form. Uh, it, is, are, there, are there obvious targets for him for the remainder of the season? Is, would, would something like the Grand Annual be back on his agenda again? Uh, it would, certainly wouldn't be the Grand Annual, no, because, um, you know, he's got a bit older like the rest of us and um, he, he, he wants a bit further now. I mean, it was two and a half miles the other, uh, yesterday and, um, you know, he, he might even at some point step up to three. But, um, you know, we, we, we'll see, um, see what the handicapper does and um, take it step by step. A good fun horse to have. A rather more than fun is, is Aso, who was pretty spectacular under top weight at, at Cheltenham last week. He- do you think he's got to be taken pretty seriously to try and go a couple better than he did in the Ryanair a, a couple of seasons ago? Well, I think, you know, he, he deserves his place in, in, in the race. Um, you know, it was a great performance a couple of years ago, as you say, to be third in the Ryanair, and um, certainly that's where we're going to be heading again. He'll probably have another run, possibly two um, in between. You know, we might take him to Cheltenham at, um, at the end of the month, or, or we might perhaps go straight to um, Ascot for, for the Grade 1 Ascot chase. Um, but, uh, um, you know, he's, he's now got another string to his bow because um, almost by accident he made the running at Newbury when he won on his debut. And um, in the past, we've always felt he was a horse that needed holding on to. Um, so it's nice to have, um, have that option as well now. And uh, your, your rider, Charlie Deutsch, you were paying tribute to him yesterday. Um, his, his issues have been pretty well documented, Venetia, but he seems to have come through that in a manner that... I'd imagine that you really hoped for, but didn't necessarily expect. It's a, it's a, it's a great testament to him. I think that's true. I think, um, but, but again, you know, every, everything really um, revolves around you know the form of the horses and how the horses are, are going, and um, and confidence is such a huge thing for jockeys, particularly national hunt jockeys. And you know, it's it's very important both for me as a trainer um, and and a nurturer of both equine and human talent. Exactly. To, to you know, ensure that that is you know as strong as it can be, um, you know, but under you know the right circumstances. And you've you've always been someone who, who with your jockeys in the past, have, have it seems to me favoured going for a younger jockey at the very beginning of their career and taking a, a a punt. Sounds as though you're being reckless, but sort of taking a chance on someone whose talent is there, but you can develop that talent with Sam Thomas and Aidan Coleman and so forth. Is that something you particularly enjoy? 
yes, I, I do very much. I mean, it's not something I've set out to do, you know, and it's sort of evolved of necessity, really. But, um, no, certainly, I mean, Sam Thomas came to us. I think he was only probably about six months out of school when he came, and, you know, and he was our stable jockey um, for some time. And, and indeed, Aidan Coleman joined us. I think he'd only had five rides under rules. Um, but, uh, you know, in each case, both both of those jockeys moved on. Um, you know, so one had to look again. And um, I've known Ch- Charlie um, and his family for some time and had had an eye on, on his career. So it's, it was great that um, he was able to join us. And, um, you know, in the same way, we've got Hugh Nugent now, um, mm. who's just done conditional this year, and he's a seven-pound claimer. And, um, you know, I'm really pleased to see how he's improving. And, uh, and uh, he wrote... He wrote um, Calypto, Calypto yeah. Yes, he looked. He looked. He looks very good. Uh, Venetia, thank you very much indeed. Well done with all your recent success. Look forward to speaking to you very soon. Thanks so much, Nick. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I'm delighted to welcome to the Luck on Sunday studio for the first time a man I've been trying to get on the program for quite some time, but now I've been given the perfect excuse to snare him because at the age of just 31, having been one of the senior columnists and a racing journalist of the year on the Racing Post, he has been appointed the editor of the Racing Post, succeeding the 11-year tenure of Bruce Millington. He is, of course... Tom Kerr. Tom, good morning and thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Nick. You finally got me. I finally got you, but as I said, I I found an extremely good excuse to get you because you've been appointed editor of the Racing Post. You're old enough and wise enough now for that to have sunk in and and sunk in well, Mm. but it is a big undertaking, a big, big job. How do you you feel in those shoes now a couple of weeks in? Sure. Um, It's obviously a lot to get to grips with. You know, I, I was largely a writer before. I did edit. I, I ran a desk on a daily basis. I did manage people. But obviously I've gone from a situation where my big concern on a week-to-week basis was what am I going to write in my column? What, who uh, or what am I going to address this week? And now, you know, my responsibilities are so much broader, so much wider, not just encompassing the editorial of the newspaper, but also thinking about you know, where we go as a business, where we go as a sport, what the future is going to hold, looking after, we've got a, a fantastic team of journalists and it's my responsibility now to, to look after them, to get the best out of them, to help them uh, thrive and prosper. So there's a whole host of extra considerations mm. to take on and, you know, I, I, you do sort of feel that you're, you're, you're dividing your time pretty thinly between a lot of them, but I think that's natural in the early days. Because you, you're a writer through and through. That's what you mm. wanted to do. That's what you're good at. Now you're a, a businessman, as you say. You're a man manager. You have to look after people's welfare. What's the most daunting part of the of the job, do you think? Which bit of it just slightly frightens you in a good way? I think, if anything. well, maybe, maybe you know... We always laugh in journalism that you don't want to you don't want to put numbers in front of a journalist because you know we deal with words. So you know suddenly having to look at budgets and stuff is you know that's that's a, a bit of a jump from my previous consideration where I was thinking about how to how can I craft this sentence in the most sort of pleasing way in the ear and to really you know hammer home a point. Um, and now I need to look at spreadsheets and budgets. Um, so you know I'm using the calculator app a lot. 
But you're at the right stage of your career to soak all that up like a sponge. It's going to be a lot more difficult if you're 51 than, than 31. So that's to your advantage, I guess. Well, you know, perhaps so. I mean, some people will look at it the other way and they'll say, you know, when you're 51, you've, you've got a lot more experience under your belt. You've, you've tackled different things in your life. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that um, I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot of things to pick up, which I haven't had exposure to before. But, uh, you know, I'm hugely enthusiastic about the challenge. I'm really enjoying grappling with all these new issues and, you know, getting my head around them. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the sort of... I don't, I've never really been accused of having, you know, exact, exactly the most uh, sort of youthful uh, excess of, of, of energy, but hopefully I can bring some of that to the job and, and ensure that, you know, we're kicking on in all departments. Were you surprised to get the job? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, you know. Um, I sort of, I thought it was, a, you know, a bit of a wild card. I'll apply, you know, I'd really love to do the job. I've got loads of ideas. I did think, though, that, you know, what I potentially brought to it um, was... You know, I'm a, a different generation. Yeah. Uh, um, I come from a, a journalism background that straddles print and digital. And, you know, although people might know me for the column, in the background, I've also done a lot of work with our mobile app, our social media platforms. You know, when I joined, uh, the Racing Post had, uh, we, we had a Twitter account, and I think we had about 2,000 followers. And now we've got 220,000. We know we've got half a million followers across all social media platforms. So you know, th- these sides of the business have grown massively, and I've been involved in them uh, from day one. And, and I guess you know, that perspective perhaps um, stood me in good stead um, when they were choosing who was going to head up the Racing Post. Career-wise, what came first for you, writing or racing? Uh, writing came first. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist, and for as long as you can remember. From well, you know, I was when I was a, a little kid. Um, my, my sister and I put out a, a, a local newspaper when I was about eight or something. It only lasted one edition, so it wasn't the most successful foray into uh, journalism. It, it really gave me a clear sight of the, you know, the economic difficulties of the the print business. But uh, where, where was where was home? It's Glasgow. Mm-hmm. It's Glasgow. So. Um, yeah, it, it's always been an interest. And I was at university and was active in journalism there, a student newspaper. At the same time, was going racing all the time. I was at Edinburgh, so went to Musselburgh, every single meeting, piled down there with a bunch of, uh, of mates and, and would have fantastic days. But I never really put two and two together, even though I'm sitting there reading the Racing Post. Um, and it was only when I, when I came to graduate, I was lucky enough to get on the BHA, the mm-hmm. graduate scheme, um, which has helped loads of people get started in the racing industry. And I saw an advert for that, and, I, and it was like a light bulb moment, and I thought, this is fantastic. You know, I can combine my two interests. They had placements at the PA, the Press Association, and the Racing Post. Um, I was lucky enough to get on the program and to get a placement at the PA. And, um, you know, that was basically the start, and I haven't looked back. And when you when you went to the PA and started reporting on racing, being sent out on, on on assignments, what was it about the sport that you you liked the most? What appealed to you the most? What surprised you? Well, I mean, what always appealed to me about the sport was was the sort of the excitement of it, the drama of it, the characters. Um, you know, when you're an outsider, and I wasn't brought up in racing, I was sort of introduced to racing through the Grand National and things like that. Um, 
you know, and it, it, it's this sort of slightly other world, worldly sport, you know, it's the sport of kings, it's, it's, it's got this amazing history. And then when I got into the sport, I was staggered that, you know, within days I could be calling up someone like Paul Nichols, getting him on the phone and, and having, a, having a chat about, uh, you know, Quarto Star or something. It, it was a completely remarkable moment. And, and those sort of slightly surreal moments only continued. I remember I went to my first, reported on my first derby. I think it was Camelot. Um, and I was sort of trying to get from the press room to the winner's enclosure and ran into a little commotion. And I'm sort of thinking, like, oh, come on, get out of the way. I need, to, I need to go and get the clothes. And I sort of peeked over and I saw, oh, oh geez, that's, that's the Queen. The Queen was a few metres away, just, just making her way over to the winner's enclosure as well. And, you know, I think for someone who's not been exposed to that world, that was completely surreal, you know, how close you can get to the people involved in this sport and how, how remarkably open it is, especially when you compare it to other sports. That's very interesting, that, because the kind of received wisdom is that the access isn't good enough and it needs mm. to be better. And I, I, like you, believe our access is she pretty strong. I mean, the amount yeah. of people who sat in the chair that you're sitting in and very willingly would come and do it, it it's, it's quite... A, I, I never cease to be amazed by it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about football, you know, you wanted to get an interview. I mean, Charlie Austin was supposed to come on this show today and Charlie Austin's great. I've interviewed him. Mm. But if you wanted to speak to Charlie, um, or, or certainly most Premier League footballers, you're generally going to have to go through a club's press office. You know, you're going to have to speak to a press officer, um, work out a, a time which suits them and... They're probably going to want to know what you're going to talk about, and they might well want to tie it in with some initiative of their own. They might have like their, you know, their vaping partner that they want to <laughs> plug or something. You've got to, you've got to sort of work out a, a, a strategy to do it, and it's not easy. Whereas we can pick up the phone and, and get someone like Nikki Henderson on the end of the line really easily. They're so open, um, and it's a huge advantage that racing has. It, it's it's its protagonists are so willing to talk to the media and talk to to the general public as well i think i mean so many people have stories about you know bumping into people at a race course bumping into ap or bumping into western having a chat and 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 i think that really makes a huge difference so you you've got the access to all these wonderful participants you've got this platform the the racing post what do you see as your as your main responsibility over the next few years? Where do you want to take the paper? Well, I mean, we should probably look at it as a, as, as a, as a company now because it's not just a newspaper, it's also all the digital platforms, you know, and we want to be putting our information, our coverage, wherever people find it most convenient mm. to get it. Um, however, you know, my principal responsibility is, is, is essentially the same as it always has been for Racing Post editors, which is to provide, to provide the, the best information, uh, the most accurate information, the most insightful information to our customers, whether they be punters, industry professionals or racing fans, in order that people can get the most out of this sport, that they can enjoy it, they can understand it, they can profit from it. I, I asked Bruce uh, Millington, your predecessor, pretty much the same question when he was he was sitting in that seat. Who are you trying to appeal to? And he said, well, all of the above, essentially. Mm. And I, I said, do you worry about pleasing all those people all of the time? What would be your response to that? I think you can't worry about pleasing all the, all the people all the time because you're going to fail. You know, it's impossible. 
you know, you only need to go on Twitter to see the different ideas people would have. And you'll get the same thing when mm. you're interviewing someone. Someone will say, you have to ask them about this. And you think, well, if I hammer home that point, they're not going to talk to me much anymore. So we need to be uh, aware of the fact that, you know, if we can't go around accusing people of being corrupt because the, the racing professionals are going to naturally take umbrage at that. At the same time, we can call all bookmakers scumbags because bookmakers are naturally going to take umbrage at that. So people who have um, you know, very strong positions are, are going to be disappointed by us. What we need to do as a newspaper is be fair, be rigorous, mm. uh, to question, to stimulate debate, you know, to be professional about what we do, to try to give people a fair hearing, um, to and ultimately to, to think about what's best for for the sport. And sometimes that's going to be um, being a cheerleader and sometimes it's going to be being a critical friend. To what extent do you want to put your own stamp, your own imprimatur on the paper? Could I pick up this paper next week and think, ah, the editor's changed. There's a definite style here. The, the Millington era has subtly been shifted to one side. This is the Kerr era. And what would define the Kerr era, do you think? Well, first of all, like, you know, the Racing Post is not a soapbox or platform for the views of Tom Kerr. We've got a brilliant team of journalists and... I have no intention whatsoever of going to them and saying, this is what I think on this issue, you need to do, you need to follow my view. You know, I want to empower our journalists to produce really brilliant racing coverage. I think we already do that. I think Bruce did a really magnificent job as editor and I was very privileged to work under him throughout my time at the Racing Post. So what did he give to you that you can give to other people? As a, as a, young, as a young writer, when you started mm. there, what encouragement did you get that you can pass on to the, the next group of writers? He was a great, uh, great one. He encouraged you, you know, and he challenged you. I think that's important as well. Um, you know, when he, he would... I mean, I, I remember a few times writing a column... And he would call me into his office and sort of um, say, why have you written this? You know, what's, what, what are you doing? And, and he's basically just challenging you to defend your work, you know. And, you know, that's about making sure people have the courage of their convictions and understand what they're talking about. So, you know, I would see one of my absolute number one responsibilities as, as supporting and challenging and uh, helping our staff, young and old, to reach the height of their potential. You mentioned young and old. Uh, clearly, the Racing Post is in a transitional period where a lot of the older or more experienced members of the permanent staff have, have gone or have, have taken voluntary redundancy. And now you have a, a broadly speaking, I think it's fair to say, a broadly speaking younger team mm. with you. And, and you're, you're at the helm of that. Do you feel like you need to uh, have a, a sort of broader breadth of experience, if you like, within the paper. Do you, do, do you feel you need one or two of those older hands in there as well as all the all the young talent? Oh, yeah, I think it's I think it's vital to have experience as well as youth and, and energy. Um, and we do. We've, we've got a you know I've got 120 people in my editorial department. Um, I don't know what the average age is, but they, they span you know from everything from 18 up to up to you know, retirement age, and, and we have a huge wealth of experience there. We have a huge wealth of talent there. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about whether we've got enough experience, um, but, but it's hugely exciting having new people coming into the business mm. as well, and I think we recognise that across racing. You know, you need new blood uh, 
whether it's in you know as sporting professionals as fans and certainly it's true in the media and i'm so pleased that we've got a bunch of young journalists who are hugely talented and hugely enthusiastic and that they've decided that what they want to do is racing journalism and i think we should be very pleased about that Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.